I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it. Welcome. This is Snacks with Stein, show number 14, which is unbelievable. And that's pretty unbelievable. That means we recorded Lucky 13 last week, or whenever that was, (laughs) five (laughs) minutes ago, and we didn't mark the occasion. So, yay for us. Thanks for for sticking around through show 14, or if this is your first episode, we hope you go back and listen to the other ones. So I'm Danielle, Christy is in Colorado, What up? safely quarantined still in our homes. Because um, we are extremely intelligent, and we understand that that is important, and that's all we're going to say about that. All we're going to say about that... What's next? Has anything oh. new happened to you? Um. Well, I don't. Uh, I have a new telenovela. Ooh. Have we talked about my obsession with telenovelas? Not yet. We have not. Okay. Well, it's a thing for me. I am. A, I'm of Mexican descent, but I don't come from the culture. It's just something that I picked up randomly from watching telenovelas on Netflix. And that has now become Netflix, Hulu, and anywhere else I can get them. <laughs> Mexican soap operas don't go forever like American soap operas do. They um, they only go about 130 to like 170 episodes in a story arc. That is so a lot of episodes do, still. They'll do all those episodes and then when it's over, it's over. But then they'll recycle the actors back into like a new story on like another network. So you'll see the oh. same actors pop up time and time again okay. um and i've i've probably seen eight in their entirety wow yeah you're dedicated um no i'm just a freak who like sews all day <laughs> and, like, you know and well and then you can like towards the end you can skip the plot lines that you don't like like yeah. get slow so my new telenovela is called rosa diamante um, and it means the pink diamond, and it is amazing <laughs> and dramatic, and um, there's lots of romance and intrigue. And at the, at the end of the day, they're all kind of a fairy tale. So I'm really that enjoying it. That sounds fun. Yeah. And you mentioned you're sewing, you're sewing masks because we need those now. So good job for you so mad. Thank you. It is not altruistic. I sell them. Like I, <laughs> I, I do sell them at probably less than what I could sell them for. But it's a number that makes me feel good about it. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we're making a lot of masks. That's actually the only thing I'm doing right now. I have a costume shop and uh, it's a masks shop right now. I haven't sewn anything but masks in the They're last three weeks. They're practical costumes. Right? Right? <laughs> right. So what are you eating today? Eating or drinking or both? Oh, so the last time we had a Goosebumps episode, I talked a lot of shit about doing Dole Whip for my (laughs) snack for this time. I will say we tried it 
It did not work. Oh. It came out like ice cream soup. Oh no. Um, it was sort of frozen, but it was not the soft serve of my Disney dreams. And then I realized that, you know, it was just a moment where I was like, well, you know, I should have known better. Like, mm -hmm. I just need to wait. Like, I just, just need to wait and stop messing with the universe because they were not, they were not happy. So I am not doing Dole Whip today. I am doing, in one of the earlier episodes, we referenced uh, Star Crunch. Yes. And so I put it on my Walmart pickup order this time around and I'm having a Star Crunch. Amazing. And I don't think that I have had one. It's been more than 20 years. Wow. Because the thing that hit me when I, when I got it out of the box was how small it is. And I don't think that it's smaller than it used to be. I think my hands are bigger. <laughs> but it's delicious. It's made by Little Debbie. It's like Rice crispy with chocolate. And there's like caramel inside. Yeah, they're like they're almost like a little moon cake. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like a little it looks like a tiny hamburger, but it's chocolate. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. With caramel inside, and I will edit myself crunching it. But yeah, I I'm never knew why they crunch. were called Star Crunch, though. I don't know. Don't... The box says that it is a cosmic treat. Because <laughs> they don't really look like a star or anything, so I don't know. But they taste good. good. So good. <laughs> So tonight I have for you, I want to say this is one of like the top Goosebumps ones, not like in the Haunted Mask echelon of like, wow, but it's a memorable one just because of the characters of the gnomes in the story. So I have for you, Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. Dun, Yay! Dun, dun. Bring it! I love lawn gnomes. I don't have any. <laughs> You're going to want to get some after this. This book was actually chosen by my mom, who is our number one fan and our new patron, Teresa. So hey, she, Teresa! Got to, she got to pick this one and she loves gnomes too. So the cover was the reason she picked this one. Does Teresa have gnomes? She has a, some little like Christmas gnomes, and then a couple Christmases ago, I got her a custom ceramic gnome that's dressed up in the colors from Outlander because she loves that show. So <laughs> she does cool. have a couple gnomes. No traditional tacky lawn gnomes, though. This was published in 1995, and it was 350. And I looked back at my script from the last episode, and this book is older and costs less, which is weird. Huh. This cover is really fun because we have the two ugly gnomes on the front and they're sitting in the lawn with other lawn ornaments, like your classic pink flamingos and so on. And the best part of this cover is that there is a little call out on the front for a free glow in the dark sticker inside. Sweet. And freebies, I live for freebies. So oh, man. Yes. sticker, I want it. If there's a bookmark, I want it. If it came with a pen, I want it. Like, the, it don't care what it is. If there's something free, I want it. <laughs> so yes, like, but are you the, like, let us preserve this? Let it never come from its backing? Or you just, like, throw <laughs> caution to the wind and, like, I'm going to stick this on some shit? 
now I am a preserver, but when I was a child, so here's a short tangential story. My, the backside of my door, I was allowed to decorate and I decided it would be covered in stickers. So this door from top to bottom was stickers. And I'm talking the 25 cent Amazeballs sticker machine glitter-tastic stickers and everything else I could get my hands on. I love stickers to this day. And when we moved out of that house, I really wanted to take the door because <laughs> I was so sad to leave the stickers <laughs> behind. Why didn't Why didn't they let you? I mean, it's I don't like- remember why. I think it was just like, what are we going to do with a door? You know, <laughs> like that kind of the thing, you know, practical reasons. At least there are plenty of pictures of me in my room with the door. So there is evidence of this door that was covered in stickers. But I love, love, love stickers. So if you're a sticker fan, cool. Good job. <laughs> Those like coin-operated deals like yes. at the skating rink where you remember like, push it in and come and out. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. The best. And there was the always ones. good ones in there. Yeah. The, the cats. The cats were classic. Right. Gotta have the cats. <laughs> right. And always like aliens and like aliens. Some peace signs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Peace signs. Eventually they got into like the fake Lisa Frank stuff, like unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was fun about this one. Unfortunately, I was hoping the sticker would be inside the book, but it was not. <laughs> I thought Lame. maybe yeah. tagline for this one is keep off their grass. It's the first Monday of summer vacation, and Joe Burton is playing ping pong with his older sister, Mindy. Joe is the black sheep of his family. He's short, brunette, and kind of pudgy, and the rest of his family is tall and blonde. Joe is so short, he can't really see over the net, but he is determined to win. Mindy hates to lose. And not only that, she is the weirdest 14-year-old, according to Joe. She organizes her books by title and keeps her own card catalog. Her clothes are organized in the colors of the rainbow, and she eats her dinner clockwise. The two go back and forth, teasing each other to try and get the other to lose points and Joe is doing his best sports announcer voice each time Mindy lines up to serve. Mindy notices that their giant Rottweiler, Buster, is not in his usual spot on the sleeping bag next to the washing machine. She's always concerned about where he is because their neighbor, Mr. McCall, hates him. Buster loves the McCall's garden. Last year, He ate all of their heads of lettuce and a prize zucchini for dessert. (laughs) Joe's dad and Mr. McCall are the two best gardeners in North Bay and compete against each other in the annual garden show. But last year, the Burton's tomatoes took home the blue ribbon. To make sure that doesn't happen again, Mr. McCall has been growing cassava melons but Mr. Burton doesn't think they'll survive the winter in Minnesota. The kids sit set to continue their game 
when they get interrupted by heavy footsteps coming up the stairs behind Mindy. It was Mr. McCall. Mindy is terrified and frozen like a statue. Mr. McCall's hands were balled into fists. I'm going to get you and I'm going to win. Give me that paddle. It was just Joe's best friend, Moose, Mr. McCall's son. Mindy hates Moose and just thinks he's a gross slob. He grabs the paddle from Mindy and the boys start being obnoxious boys. They're roughhousing and Moose even decides to jump on and almost break their ping pong table. Mindy screams for him to get off and as he does, he barrels right into Joe, pinning him to the ground. Joe is struggling to breathe and Moose won't get up. He's gasping for air and Mindy leans over him brushing the, the hair away from his eyes. You're, you're a sucker. Moose and Joe practically fall over themselves laughing. Mindy vows to never believe a single thing the two of them say ever again, and she stomps off. She stops suddenly at the window and gasps. Oh no, it's Buster. He's gotten into the garden again. But Joe thinks it's her just pulling their leg this time. So he takes a look for himself. And sure enough, Buster is laying in the McCall's garden. Moose, Mindy, and Joe race upstairs and out the front door. It was almost six o'clock. And Mr. McCall always watered his garden at 6 p.m. sharp. They had to get Buster out of there. ASAP, but he was not moving. His nose was shifting the soil, and soon enough, he's going after the precious melons. Joe keeps a dog whistle around his neck at all times, even when he's sleeping. It's the only thing Buster will obey. And after a few tries, Buster finally decides to come trotting over, wagging his little stubby tail. They tried coaxing him into running over, but it was too late. The front door slams open and Mr. McCall comes storming out. Joe, get over here. Mr. McCall is retired from the Navy and is very used to barking orders and having them obeyed. Joe obeys and goes walking over with Buster by his side. Was that mutt in my yard again? His eyes were like steel and made your blood run cold. Joe denies everything. He had to save Buster and blame the disturbed soil on the wind. The wind blew it away. Mindy chimes in and promises Buster will never get into the yard again and that they're so sorry. And in kind, Mr. McCall promises to haul Buster to the pound if he even sniffs his prized melons. I don't know. Maybe build a fence, dude. <laughs> I know. They don't really explain the fence situation ever or the distance between these two homes. There's a driveway. We know there's driveways. That'll come later. But that's, we don't know the distance or fencing. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's a weird, mm, it's a big time investment. And so I don't know why you wouldn't, 
I mean, regardless of a dog, you'd probably still build a fence. Yeah, you would think so. Or some kind of protective covering. I don't know. Mr. McCall yells for Moose to get to watering. And Mindy and Joe argue on their way back home. As they approach their house, they hear a low groan. And it's their dad hauling a large garden hose. It was weird for him to be this upset. Normally, he's in the greatest mood in the garden. Kids, I have something terrible to tell you. Then he whispers, I found a fly on one of our tomatoes. The Red Queen. Hanging his head in sorrow, he can't understand why this is happening. He was doing everything right. If the fly ruins his tomatoes, he'll have to pull out of the garden show. Mindy and Joe exchange a glance. The adults around here are getting freaking weird. Joe doesn't understand why one fly is such a big deal and suggests they try the bug be gone spray they just ordered. That perks Mr. Burton up a bit and they go to the garden to try it out. Joe and Mindy each get a can and Joe is showering the plants with the spray. But Mindy is taking her time, being her weirdo self, and probably reading all of the ingredients on the can. Then she starts to spray, and a fly falls to the ground. Mr. Burton thinks this is a cause for celebration, and suggests a walk to Lawn Lovely. The kids groan. Lawn Lovely is where dad buys all of his lawn ornaments. Mr. Burton is obsessed with his lawn ornaments. They have so many of them, there is not even space to mow the lawn. Currently, currently they have two pink plastic flamingos, an angel with huge white wings, a chrome ball on a platform, fountain with two kissing swans, an entire family of skunks, a seal balancing a ball on his nose, and a chipped deer. He loves them so much that they even get decorated for the holidays. Sweet! This is where I thought of you. Yes! (laughs) Sounds like a pretty sweet little setup if you ask me. (laughs) So get this. We've got Pilgrim hats for the skunks on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Pirate costumes for the flamingos on Halloween. And my personal favorite, stovepipe hats and beards for the swans on Lincoln's birthday. Excellent. This is glorious. (laughs) So much. The lawn ornaments are something of a debate in the Burton house. Mindy is embarrassed of them and thinks they turn the lawn into a tourist attraction and Mrs. Burton threatens to throw them away every chance she gets. They start the walk toward Lawn Lovely to check for a new shipment, all of them not realizing that they were going to start a horrifying adventure. Do you have any lawn ornaments currently? You know, I don't. (laughs) Cool. I love it, though. Like, I love it when I drive by and, like, somebody's got a whole fucking menagerie. (laughs) The person that lives there has to be so cool like <laughs> in an old lady kind of way like the, like I want to be them when I grow up 
And then it sounds like you want to be this woman who we meet next in the book. Okay. Joe spots the pointy roof of Lawn Lovely, which jutted into the sky and towered over the houses in the neighborhood. The store was part of a rickety three-story house. The first floor was the shop, and the other two stories were the home of Mrs. Anderson, the eccentric old woman who owns the store. It was painted bright pink with brightly colored shutters and was not in good shape. The floorboards were sagging and there was a hole in the floor that Mr. McCall fell through last summer. (laughs) They make their way through the plaster squirrels, kissing angels, pink rabbits, and long green worms wearing hats to find Mrs. Anderson unwrapping a new package of flamingos. Mr. Burton calls out to her and they exchange pleasantries. It's likely that he is her only customer, so she was happy to see him. Mr. Burton says that he is thinking their dear is a little lonely and checks out her offerings, but something else catches his eye. Two squat lawn gnomes standing in the middle of the garden. Mrs. Anderson claps with delight and explains that these are very, very special and were carved in Europe. Fancy. Super fancy. (laughs) The gnomes looked like old men. They were three feet tall and very chubby with red eyes and large pointy ears. Their mouths were turned up in wide, silly grins, and brown hair was sprouting from their heads. They each wore a bright green shirt, brown leggings, and a pointy orange hat with black belts around their waists. Mr. Burton was in love, but Mindy hated them, of course. They are so gross, they look evil, and I hate them, she shouts. She can't convince her dad to leave them behind, and she storms off after saying that she'll never be able to bring anyone over to the house again. Mr. Burton, on the other hand, is already planning their Halloween and Christmas outfits. (laughs) Joe studies the gnomes a bit more and does agree that they do look kind of evil. There was something unfriendly and cold about their eyes. Whoa, Mindy. One of the gnomes just moved, Joe called out. She turns to look, and Joe's wrist is being held tightly in the chubby hand. And he tries to tug himself free. It won't let go. Mindy comes racing across the yard, a frightened expression on her face. But Joe can't keep up his charade any longer. Gotcha. Did you really think that the gnome was hurting me? You're losing it, Mindy. She goes to slug him and misses, just as their dad comes bouncing out of the house, ready to take home his new purchase. But they have to name them first. Mr. Burton names all of their lawn ornaments. Mm, I can't (laughs) even remember my chicken's names. (laughs) He has a lot. He has a catalog. Are they like are they good names? We don't we don't we don't know all their names ever, which is unfortunate. Uh, but rats. I know. So 
he patted one gnome on the head. Let's call this one Hap, because he looks so happy. And this one, Chip, because he has a chipped front tooth. Mr. Burton will carry Hap home, and the kids were stuck carrying Chip. They were heavier than any of their other ornaments, and as they head down the hill, they notice the entire neighborhood is gawking at them. Two girls on bikes stop to stare and bust out laughing. Mindy is so red, she's basically one of their tomatoes. Their little parade catches the attention of Mr. and Mrs. McCall, who just chuckle and say, cute. <laughs> Finally reaching their lawn, Mr. Burton finds the perfect spot for the two gnomes, right next to dear Lila. Let that sink in. Dear. Is Lila the deer? Her name is dear Lila, like Delilah, but dear oh, Lila. Brother. That's good. I like it's that. Good. Moose heads over to get a look at the ugly things. And as the two mess around, Mindy notices Buster has gotten into the garden again. And this time he's making a mess. Mr. McCall comes out and shoes Buster off angrily, accusing Mr. Burton of sending him over on purpose to ruin the melons. The two dads exchange some amazing plant-related insults, and the families head inside for their dinner. Joe turns to get Buster, but he had knocked over half and was busy licking his face. He blows the whistle, and Joe goes to pick up half but notices the strangest thing. Hap's smile had vanished. It looked as if he was trying to scream. Joe called out to Dad and Mindy to come look, and Mr. Burton comes running over, but Mindy figures he was just playing another dumb prank. Good one, Joe, laughed Moose and Mr. Burton. Hap's smile had returned, and Joe was left scratching his head. Mr. McCall reminds them that if Buster gets into the garden, he will call the pound. And Mr. Burton assures him that if anything happens again, he will tie him up in the backyard. It's the second day of summer vacation, and Joe was up bright and early to mow the lawn. He made a deal with his dad that if he mowed the lawn once a week all summer, he would get a new bike. As soon as he steps outside, Mr. McCall screams, Joe, get over here. He was furious. I have had it. If you don't dye that dog up, I am calling the police. One of his prized melons was shattered in pieces all over the ground, and the fruit had been mostly eaten away. Joe didn't know what to say, and Mr. Burton came out just in time as he was headed off to work. He starts to make a joke, but Mr. McCall won't let him get the words out and goes right into blaming Buster for the melon. Mr. Burton turns to Joe and tells him to go tie up Buster right this minute. Joe tries to tell him that Buster didn't do it, but he doesn't want to hear another word. Do you know what cassava melons are? No. Have you ever had cassava melons? I don't think so. <laughs> I haven't either. I was asking you. The only time I think I've ever heard of cassava melons this is so stupid but it came in my mind when you said it yeah so you know coming to america yes 
And if you don't know Coming to America, go right now (laughs) and do it right now. (laughs) Like Coming to America is my sick movie. It is the movie that I watch when I need to like feel good and happy. I can, I could probably quote you Coming to America. (laughs) But there's a scene in there where they're discussing like his, his future bride and um, Arsenio Hall says, you know, what do you, what else would you want in a woman other than she's got big breasts like cassava melons? Oh my God. I remember that. That's hilarious. And that's, I'm going, I wonder what a cassava melon. <laughs> so I looked it up really quick and a cassava okay. melon is just a honeydew melon. Oh, I don't. Fancy. It's a fancy name. It's a fancy name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's part but of But dogs the- don't really eat melon. No. Okay. But apparently it's really just a honeydew melon. At least it's in the honeydew family of melons, so. That would make sense as far as a boob reference. Yes. Joe ties Buster to the big oak tree in the back, and Mr. Burton reminds Joe that the painters are coming today. They're painting their house white with a black trim. Great. Joe hated the smell of paint. You and me both, kid. That's gross. Joe stomps to the garage and angrily grabs the lawnmower. He is so pissed about Mr. McCall accusing Buster and just wishes out loud that he would destroy, that he could destroy his melons so he would leave them the F alone. Mindy overhears this from her spot on the step and tells Joe to get a grip. He finishes mowing the lawn and finds Moose sprawled out on their grass, and he suggests a game of ring toss. They could use the gnome's pointy hats. Moose wins round one, and Joe goes to collect the rings from the gnomes when he notices something on Chip's face. What is that? It was a seed. A bright orange seed stuck between his two fat lips. Is that a melon seed? Moose tells Joe he's just seeing things. But Joe was not seeing things and he points right at Chip's face. It's right there. Moose shrugs it off. So what? It's just a melon seed. But Joe explains that this is a cassava melon seed the kind that were all over the ground? And how did it get into Chip's mouth? That night, Joe is dreaming about melons. He dreamed that a melon grew in their yard that was so big it overtook their entire house. Then something startles him awake. A low, mournful howl. It was Buster, howling into the night. Joe feels so badly for him and decides to sneak outside for a visit. He makes his way down the stairs, and the house is eerily quiet. Every squeak of the floorboards makes him jump. He stumbles forward, and as soon as his hands grip the doorknob, two powerful hands grasp his shoulders. Where do you think you're going? Thank God, it was just Mindy. Oh, I'm going for a midnight snack. I'm craving some cassava melon. Mindy is not amused. 
and tells him that mom and dad will be so mad if they catch him sneaking outside. But Joe just wants to comfort poor Buster and ignores his sister. He pats Buster's head and tells him that it's going to be okay and he'll be free soon. But out of the corner of his eye, he notices something wrestling in the grass. Two small figures are running along the side of the house. Raccoons? That was it. Raccoons had gotten to Mr. McCall's stupid melons. Joe would tell his dad tomorrow and their troubles with him would be over. Mr. McCall's cries cut through the morning air. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It was 6.30 a.m. Joe heads downstairs and Mr. Burton says that it's Mr. McCall and they all head outside to find him in a tattered bathrobe holding one of his melons and screaming. Ruined. (laughs) (laughs) Ruined. They're totally ruined. The Burtons walk over and Mr. Burton tries to get Mr. McCall to calm down and take it easy, but that just upsets him more and the vein in his forehead is throbbing. He was cradling his four melons in his hands, all still attached to the vine. I came out to water my melons and found this. Someone had taken a black marker and drawn big, sloppy, smiley faces on each one of the melons. Joe, that is horrible. How could you? Shouts Mindy from out of fucking nowhere. Mrs. Burton demands to know what in the hell Mindy is talking about. And frankly, so does Joe. She proceeds to rat him out and tells them he was threatening to destroy the melons earlier today. This is when I am so grateful I don't have siblings because I would murder them. <laughs> what yeah, I don't fun. know what the dynamic is like when there's only two. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I have four older siblings. And when there's a tribe, <laughs> you all like fall into like certain roles. Right. And I was... I did not keep a secret. Nobody told me shit. Because I, I would I would blab in a second. Um, but I don't know how it works when there's two of you. Like I don't how, know if there's a like a code. Well, how are your two? Is there is um they have a secret code? It's one or the other. They are either like actively trying to get each other in trouble via means of truth or lies. <laughs> oh my god. Um or they are 100% partners in crime. Oh, okay. I walked in on them once when they were younger, um, and they were sitting on Roman's bed, and they were practicing crying. Oh, my God. Natalie would cry, and then she'd go, okay, you go. That's incredible. That's incredible. So, I, I mean, it's it's usually it's one or the other. <laughs> so maybe that's what's going on here. Like, maybe, maybe right now we're in the mood to, like, just tear each other apart. Yeah. It seems like they don't really get along very well because she's older and he's younger, but she's a butt. That's all. (laughs) She's a butt. She is a butt. (laughs) Joe tries to defend himself, but Mr. Burton isn't hearing a single word. Joe is grounded for two weeks and he tries to offer lawn mowing services to Mr. McCall, but he doesn't want Joe to put one toe into his yard. 
He tries to rub off the black stains, but they are not budging. If these don't come off, I will sue. 12 hours has passed since the melon disaster, and it is the officially the most boring day. Joe orders a pile of fake vomit from a magazine and reads his entire comic book collection. To amuse himself, he decides to mess up Mindy's rainbow-colored closet and goes poking around the house for something else to do. He finds Mindy and her best friend Heidi in their den, decorating t-shirts. Joe and Heidi were not fans of each other. Boo! shouts Joe as he jumps into the room, causing Mindy to smear yellow paint on her white shorts. <sighs> I wonder if it was like that puffy paint thing that we did. I think it was puff paint. Did you ever jump on the bandwagon because like there you you could get the transfers, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get your t-shirt and then you get like a design. <laughs> yep. And then you iron the uh-huh. design onto your t-shirt and then you yep. put like your t-shirt, you put some cardboard in there. Yep. And then you had all the puffy paint, you would squeeze it out oh, and make yeah. it all cool. That was my wardrobe, man. That was like, oh, I was Did the you- coolest. <laughs> Did you jump on the bandwagon of when it was like um, pointillism? Oh. It was like, it was like dots. I remember those. I don't think I had them. But I remember. And the the transfers, like, the dots would make a pattern, but, like, the transfers would be, like, the dots would be different shapes, and that would tell you, like, what color to use. We may have had some And so you'd do little dots, and it would make, like, I think I had one that was, like, a jack-in-the-box. They were always stupid. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, that was our whole wardrobe. We had these, like, puffy paint shirts. Sad shirts. Like, what are we doing? I don't know. (laughs) Good thing we weren't looking for dates back then because we would have gotten nuts. <laughs> Zero. The little, the little hearts with the leaves <laughs> under them, right? Yep. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Look up puff paint t-shirts if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be cool at the skating rink, you better get your puff, puff paint, paint t-shirt out. <laughs> puff paint and your scrunchie. Let's go. That's right. Let's do this. <laughs> We are busy. Well, I'm not, thanks to you, Miss Snitch. He tells Mindy he did not draw on the melons, but she is not buying his sob story, and the girls head to the pool to get away from him. He finds his mom in the kitchen discussing paint chips, and he asks if he can take Buster for a walk. First, she denies him because he's grounded. But after some complaining about the paint smell and wanting to get Buster out of their way, she relents. They walk for two miles to Buttermilk Pond and stop at the Creamy Cow for ice cream on the way back. And much like your purple lipstick in Fear Street, this is the third book that chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream has been mentioned. So there's a trend here. (laughs) We need to make a list. Be like, Mm -hmm. dude. (laughs) <laughs> so you're telling me that if I am a hot girl with purple lipstick and I'm also carrying cookie dough ice cream, <laughs> like I can get it, right? Yep. that's Those are his things, his triggers. Buster is eager to get back home. And as they survey the lawn, Joe notices something different about the gnomes. What were those dark marks on their stubby fingers? Was it dirt? No. It was black paint. 
what is going on here? How could their hands be covered in paint? While he's distracted, Buster has made a beeline for the McCalls. And just in the nick of time, Joe blows the whistle and he heads back to the Burton house. But he starts licking at the gnomes again. And again, their faces were turned into expressions of horror. Joe has to show someone, but his mom is the only one home, but he thinks she'll believe him. He races upstairs to find her working away at the computer and begs her to come outside. This better not be another joke, Joe. Mrs. Burton looks at the gnomes from the front door. See, mom, they're screaming. Joe, I really wish you would stop playing dumb jokes. They are not funny enough. She scolds him some more and tells him to make himself useful because he's driving her insane. Joe is crestfallen. He knows what he saw. The gnomes are alive. They are alive and doing horrible things to the McCall's garden. Joe had decided that this was the only way to explain the seed and the paint and their changing expressions. Suddenly, he doesn't feel very well, like as if he's about to faint. None of this makes any sense anymore. He turns to go inside and hears a gruff whisper. Not funny, Joe. Not funny at all. And side note, before I go into this, we're at chapter 13, which is where the sticker was because I found the torn out piece of paper. And I oh. thought I thought it was clever that it was on chapter 13. <laughs> Do you think that that was intentional or do you think that's the middle of the book? I don't know. I want to say it was intentional because that'd be more fun. Like 13's a, you know, but it could be, could be middle of the book. The Burtons have sat down to dinner and are swapping stories about what they did today. Mindy is telling her boring ass story about going to the pool and Joe decides to interrupt. I heard something really, really weird in the garden. He goes on to imitate the gruff whispers and Mrs. Burton slams her glass on the table. She has had absolutely enough of these not funny known jokes and cuts him off before another sound can escape his lips. After dinner, Joe and Mr. Burton go to their garden to water the prized tomatoes. They step outside and Mr. Burton screams. Beautiful red tomatoes have been crushed, mashed, stepped on, and mangled to a pulp. Joe grabs the sleeve of his dad's shirt. The gnomes did it! Mr. Burton cannot even believe his insane son has time for jokes right now. Without the tomatoes, they cannot enter the garden show, and they would not be able to win any ribbons. Joe will not give up and drags his dad out into the front yard. He knew they would find their faces covered in red pulp or seeds between their feet. They couldn't believe what they found. What do you think they found? 
I was just thinking it'd be super funny if his dad was some kind of ultra right wing prick. And like they kept finding these gnomes in these like homoerotic positions. Oh my God. Like you're holding each other's butt. <laughs> like something that would make him really, really uncomfortable. <laughs> I wish that's what they So thought. that's that that's would, what I'm going with. I'm going with homoerotic. That would take this book to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> but no. They found nothing. No juice, no seeds, no pulp. Joe examined the gnomes with a fine-tooth comb and just kept begging for his dad to believe him. But Mr. Burton knew who did this, and he would not get away with it. He grabs a handful of smashed tomato. The juice is running between his fingers and marches right up to the McCall's front door, shouting for him to come out before he has even knocked. Mr. McCall answers the door in an all-white tracksuit, holding a piece of pork chop on a fork. Clearly, uh-huh, clearly, they had, it's, I just, I had to put that in because the mental image is hilarious. Like, these, a tracksuit and a fork. These fruity old suburban dads are right? like having this like garden feud. Uh, <laughs> they're they're taking home gnomes and wearing <laughs> white tracksuits. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So clearly he had interrupted their dinner and all of this racket was, quote, making it hard digest. Well, digest this. And Mr. Burton hurls the tomato straight at Mr. McCall. It <gasps> lands with a plop. And the red juices go running down his suit and onto his all-white sneakers. Are you nuts? How could you do this? Just for some blue ribbons? Mr. McCall comes down from his porch and gets right into Mr. Burton's face. Joe thinks they're about to fight. Fight, Mr. Fight, 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 fight! Mr. McCall, of course, denies harming the tomatoes and tells him that Moose is not allowed to hang out with his son anymore and suggests that he ruin his own tomatoes the same way he ruined the cassabas and to leave his lawn before he loses control. Ooh! <laughs> Joe didn't get any sleep that night. He just tossed and turned. Then his room began to feel hot and sticky. He kicked off the covers and went to the window to get some fresh air. A thick fog, like he had never seen before, was hanging over the garden. But one by one, the lawn ornaments came into view. The angel, the swans, the skunks, the deer all alone. Wait, where are the gnomes? They were gone. Joe races to his parents' bedroom, shouting, Mom, Dad, wake up! He tries to rouse them, but they are furious and cannot believe he is doing this in the middle of the fucking night. Then they were going to have a serious talk in the morning. 
he stumbles out of their room to try and wake Mindy. But when she hears this so-called emergency is about the gnomes, she pulls the sheets over her head and tells Joe to fuck off. Joe has to do something. He can't let the gnomes destroy their garden and then the McCall's. He runs downstairs and yanks open the door and steps out into the fog. It was so dark and murky. He felt like he was moving through a dream. A nightmare of grays and blacks filled with nothing but shadows. He had lost all sense of direction and didn't know if he was going towards the house or towards the street. Then something yanks at his leg and pulls him down. A snake! No, not a snake. Just the garden hose. Joe has to get a grip on reality. He decides he needs to go back inside and into his nice warm bed. That is what he should do. But then he hears something. The sound of shuffling footsteps. It was getting louder. Joe is breathing heavy, his heart pounding. His bare feet were damp from the wet grass and the cold was radiating up his body. Then he hears a sharp cackle in the distance. Was it a gnome? Joe turns to try and see what made the sound, but it grabs him from behind and with a dry, evil laugh, throws him to the ground. Joe hits the ground and hears the laugh again, but it sounded familiar. Moose? Even in the fog, Joe could see the big grin on his dumb face. Joe asked him what he was doing out so late, and he says he couldn't sleep and that he kept hearing weird noises. Moose asks Joe the same question and assumes he is out causing more trouble. But Joe tries to tell Moose that the gnomes are missing and just look, you'll see they're gone. He thinks it has to be some kind of trick and figures Joe is hiding the ugly things. Of course, Joe denies this, but Moose won't let up. Tell me or you'll get a knuckle sandwich. He subs Joe back down and pins him to the ground. Tell me, tell me. Joe is trying to get him to shut up, but it was too late. Lights flicked on in both of their houses. Joe's front door bangs open, and Mr. Burton calls out into the darkness. Who's out here? Mr. McCall is now on his porch and asks Mr. Burton what's going on. And Joe thinks they're safely hidden by the fog as long as they keep quiet. Then he hears the click and the beam of light from the flashlight is directly on them. Joe, screamed Mr. Burton, what are you doing out here? Mr. McCall bellows for Moose to get inside immediately, and he runs home. Joe is left to deal with his dad, who is, of course, upset. He woke them up twice. He's outside again. What in the hell is wrong with this kid? Joe, not reading the room, tries to tell his dad that he only went outside to check that the gnomes were missing, and they are. Mr. Burton is ready to ground Joe for the entire summer. But Joe says that he has never been more serious about anything in his entire life, and he will never ask for anything again. Just look. This got his attention, and Mr. Burton stared out the window into the fog. Please let the gnomes be gone. Please. Joe, you're right. The gnomes are missing. 
Joe jumps high into the air and screams, yes, finally someone believed he was telling the truth. Mr. Burton wipes his shirt sleeve against the window to get a better view and tells Joe that dear Lila isn't there either. What? Dear Lila was never missing. Oh, wait, there she is. She was just hidden in the fog. And there, the gnomes are back too. The fog was just hiding them. And sure enough, Joe could see their two pointy hats and stupid looks on their faces. I am telling the truth, I swear. Mr. Burton tells Joe that the fog can do funny things. He thought he saw a UFO that turned out to be a balloon. He pats Joe on the back and tells him to cut the shit with the gnomes. They are just lawn ornaments, and the joke is over. This had been a horrible day and night. Nobody believed him, the tomatoes were ruined, and Moose was not allowed to be his friend anymore. What more could go wrong? Joe wakes up the next morning with a heavy feeling in his stomach, and he can't stop thinking about the gnomes. They were ruining his summer and his whole life. He forces himself to get them out of his mind, and he leans out the window to see if Moose was helping in the yard. Oh, no. Globs of white paint were splattered all over Mr. McCall's red Jeep. The roof, the windows, the door. Not one inch was left untouched. Joe pulls on some clothes and races out. Moose is in the driveway with his jaw clenched, shaking his head, and circling the jeep. He turns to Joe. Unbelievable, right? My dad had a cow when he saw this. He asked why he didn't park in the garage, and Moose said they were cleaning it out and he had no room to fit it. Mr. McCall first thought Mr. Burton had done it, but Mrs. McCall told him how ridiculous that sounded, so he called the police and promised to not rest until the person who did this was put in jail. Joe's mouth suddenly feels like cotton, and he reminds Moose that if they call the police, they will be in trouble because they were out on the lawn last night. Joe is pacing back and forth in the driveway when he notices a small line of white paint spots. Do you feel like that was a weird reaction for Joe to go outside in the middle of the night because he's worried about the garden? Kind of. If I'm a kid, and things outside or moving around I don't care about my garden. Own, fuck that garden. Fuck that garden. Fuck that garden. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm going to be in bed under my covers where no one can get me. Yeah, if the gnomes are alive, let them have the garden. I'm not trying to venture out to save, you know, tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Just saying. He notices a small line of white paint spots. He follows the trail across the grass, over the petunias, and into the corner of his yard. The paint stopped where the gnomes ended. I knew it. Joe calls Moose over and tells him the gnomes slashed the car and they're doing all the other bad shit around here. Seriously, give it a rest. Nobody is going to believe you. But Joe is certain it's the gnomes and goes through all of the mounting evidence. Moose agrees it's all a little weird, 
but still doesn't believe the gnomes are doing this. Joe hatches a plan to prove their guilt and catch them in the act. He convinces Moose to meet up with him in the yard that night. They'll wait on the side of the house and trap them before they do anything else. He wakes with a jolt. My alarm didn't go off. It was nearly midnight, and he was supposed to have met Moose at 11.30. Jumping out of bed, grabbing sneakers, and heading outside, he notices no moon, no stars, just darkness. Everything was too dark, too quiet, and there was no sign of Moose. He probably went to bed when Joe was late, and now he doesn't know what to do. Stay by himself? Then he hears a loud rustling in the bushes and gasps. Over here! Moose was hiding in the evergreen shrubs, and Joe slides in next to him. They can't believe they're outside, in the bushes, trying to trap lawn gnomes. Then they both hear a scraping sound coming from the grass. Joe parts the thick bushes to get a closer look, and the branches claw at his hands. Blood starts running down his fingers, where two needles wedge themselves into the skin. The sound was getting closer and closer. Moose and Joe exchanged frightened glances. Joe parts the needles once again, and two glowing red eyes were staring back at him. He yells for Moose to get it, get it. But it was only a raccoon. They had been outside for over two hours, and Moose was ready to give up and tells Joe that he is crazy. But then his eyes nearly pop out of his head. Joe opens the bushes just in time to see the gnomes come to life. They stretch their arms over their heads, scratched their chins, shook out their legs, and smoothed out their shirts. Moose cries out, they're moving. And he was a bit too loud and Joe loses his balance and falls right out of the bush. The gnomes have seen them. Moose pulls Joe to his feet, and they stare in horror at the gnomes. They bent their knees and limbered up, taking slow, stiff steps, right toward Moose and Joe. They had to run, but where? The full moon suddenly appeared and cast a spotlight over the garden. The two stocky figures started swinging their chubby arms and began to run. Their pointy hats were like shark fins cutting through the grass. Moose and Joe duck back down into the bushes and it shakes as they shake in fear. They can see the gnomes glowing red eyes and shiny grins. Joe shuts his eyes and their footsteps go past them. They weren't caught, but where were they going? Joe had to find out. He leads the way to the side of the house, and the two gnomes are leaning over the painter's buckets and brushes. Hap and Chip pick up two cans of black paint and swing it at the side of the Burton house. A huge black stain is now dripping over the fresh white paint. We have to stop them. Moose suggests tackling them, and Joe agrees. If we tackle them, we can drag them inside and show our parents. They start to inch closer and closer, but Moose trips with a loud thud onto the ground. He had tripped over Buster's rope, who had also woken up and started to howl. He noticed the gnomes right away 
and this time they were definitely caught. Their eyes were fixed on them, and their grins had turned to scowls. Get them, growled Chip. Moose and Joe bolt to the front of the house. The gnomes were giggling as they chased them around and around the house in circles. Why were they laughing? The boys are shouting for help, but nobody is waking up. Joe's legs start to feel heavy, and he has a stitch in his side. He can't go on, and he thinks it's all over. They've got him. Then his front door swings open with a loud bang. and a beam from a flashlight shines over the yard. What is going on out here? Mindy, Joe tries to call to her, but it was too late. Giggling loudly, they pinned her arms back and were pulling her down the stairs and onto the street. Mindy is thrashing her arms and legs, trying to break free, but the gnomes were shockingly strong. She calls out to Joe and Moose for help, and they start to chase after them, but they had already gotten her onto the road, their feet slapping the pavement. Still giggling, they had made it past the McCalls and two more neighboring houses. Moose and Joe are shouting for them to stop, and to all of their surprise, they did. Hap and Chip set Mindy down next to a tall hedge. We mean you no harm. The laughing had stopped and their expressions were dead serious. What do you mean, no harm? You just dragged me out of my house, shouted Mindy. We only wanted to get your attention. Joe finally chimes in. How can we believe you? Look at all the trouble you've caused. We can't help it. We're mischief gnomes. We do mischief. It's our mission in life. Wherever there is mischief in life, we're there. Mischief is our job. Hap giggled. Without us, the world would be a pretty dull place. Joe thinks the world would be a better place without them. Hap and Chip made pouty faces and says they are hurting their feelings and that their life isn't easy. We need your help. You want us to help you with your mischief? No fucking way. No. We need your help to get us our freedom. Please listen and believe. No. No. Sometimes you shouldn't set them free. Yeah. (laughs) Chip goes on to tell the sad story of the mischief gnomes. A once happy group of gnomes who lived in an enchanted forest. One day, the mines where they worked were closed and the forests were cut down. The gnomes were kidnapped and sent here to work as lawn ornaments, as slaves, forced to stand still all night and all day. This is horrible. How do you stand there all day? Mindy asked. We go into a trance, and then at night, we wake up and do our job of causing mischief. But we want to be free, to go where we want, live where we want, and find a new forest to call home. Two tears roll down Chip's chubby cheeks. Will you help us? Help you do what? Help us and our friends escape. There are six more trapped in the basement where you bought us and we need your help to set them free. 
Hap is tugging at the bottom of Joe's shirt. All you have to do is help our friends out the basement door, and we will leave you alone forever. No more mischief. Joe turns to Mindy. Since she was the oldest, he wanted her advice for once. Well, look at how much Buster hates being tied up. He wants to be free, and all things deserve to be free. No. (laughs) No. Although, I've never had, like, the thing where dolls creep me out. Mm. See, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, would I be scared if, like, little gnomes were, (laughs) like, running at me? I think so. And I... (sighs) Are they carrying a weapon? No. Okay, well, I can kick their ass, like, real far. Nobody's nobody's fighting back, so. Because, like, they're running from these, like, little gnomes. Like, yeah, that that shit would be creepy. My first inclination would be like, oh, run and hide. It would be like, I'm going to see how far I can kick this gnome. (laughs) And, like, take care of business and get that. Like, now if they're carrying a weapon, that's something else. But No, no weapons. um, But on the other side of that, like, hey, kids. PSA, (laughs) if it shouldn't be talking, it probably doesn't need your help. Probably not. It was decided they were going to help Hap and Chip. The two gnomes let out cheers of joy and click their heels together as they jump into the air. Let's go now, in the darkness, while the store is closed. Mindy is not thrilled to be doing this in her pajamas. But the sooner they set the gnomes free, the sooner this ordeal will be over. The group sets off to Lawn Lovely, guided by the streetlights. The fog was settling across the yards of the houses in town. Joe thought the house was weird during the day, but at night it was downright creepy. It was as if all of the lawn ornaments could come alive at any moment. As if he was reading Joe's mind, Chip assures him that all of the other creatures were just for decoration. They reach the house, and Hap and Chip point to the window that leads to the basement. Joe peers inside and doesn't see anything but blackness. Are you sure they're in there? Oh yes, all six. Please hurry before the old lady wakes up. Joe lowers himself slowly into the basement, turning around to make sure Mindy and Moose will follow crosses his fingers, and jumps down. He lands on his feet, and a sharp smell, like vinegar, hits his nose. Sweat. Gnome sweat. He hears a low giggle from the outside, and Hap and Chip are jumping down into the basement to join them. He tries to get their attention in the pitch black, but they go scampering off. They have to find a light switch. But before they could even start to look, the ceiling lights turn on with a flash. They all gasp at what is before them. A sea of gnomes. Hap and Chip had straight up lied. There were 600, not six gnomes in the basement, all dressed in different colored shirts, but otherwise the same. It took Joe a moment to spot Hap and Chip, who were off to the side of the mob. Hap raised his hands and clapped them three times, sharp claps that echoed off the walls. The gnomes started to come to life, stretching and giggling, all in unison. 
the pointed hats like rows and rows of spikes. Mindy grabs Joe. They have to get out of here. But the basement window looked so high up and so far away. Hap and Chip were now standing directly in front of them, and Hap clapped his hands again for attention. All of the gnomes fell silent. We have brought the young humans. We've kept our promise. The basement erupts in giggles and cheers, and to their horror, the mob of gnomes start coming toward them. Mindy, Joe, and Moose start backing up until they hit the wall. The gnomes' little hands and fingers were pulling at their clothes, slapping their faces, and pulling their hair. Mindy screams, we came to help you, to help you escape. But we don't want to escape. Now that you're here, it's going to be so much fun. Fun? What in the hell do they mean by fun? Hap claps his hands again, and the gnomes are silent. You lied to us. Hap and Chip giggle in reply. We can't believe you fell for our sad story. We told you we were mischief gnomes. Joe is enraged. All right, guys. Great joke. Let's go home now, okay? The whole room erupts in that awful giggle. Hap just shakes his head. But the mischief has just begun. He calls out to the sea of gnomes. What shall we do with our prisoners? Then the crowd starts to call out suggestions of how to torture Joe, Mindy, and Moose. Let's see if they bounce and have a dribbling contest. We'll bounce them against the wall. No, let's fold them into tiny squares. And they begin to chant, fold them, fold them, fold them. A gnome in front shouts, tickle them tickle them for hours. This leads to them start chanting, tickle, tickle, tickle. And the gnomes who want to dribble them to begin chanting, dribble, dribble, dribble. And those who wanted to fold them begin their own chant. Joe looks at poor Moose, whose eyes are bugging out of his head and his chin is quivering. Everyone is frightened and doesn't know how to escape. Joe gets an idea. Quiet, he screams, and the chanting stops. All of their red, beady eyes staring at him. Let us go right now, or we'll scream so loud, Mrs. Anderson will wake up and rescue us. Hap and Chip fall over laughing. Go ahead and scream. We like it when humans scream. Joe turns to Mindy. We're doomed. So that got weird. Yeah, I feel like there's <laughs> a clearer way out of this situation. And I would also like to amend that while I am not afraid of one tiny walking thing that shouldn't be walking, hundreds of tiny walking things that shouldn't be walking, probably different. Yes. Um, also, Joe, clear path. Okay out of this situation you take out hap mm -hmm. you you make a uh you make an example of him <laughs> you smash the shit out of him maybe eat a little bit of him 
And you do that in front of everybody. <laughs> in the gnome world, you keep what you kill. Sounds like Now it. you're the leader. A new chant has started in the back of the room. Tug of war. Tug of war. This suggestion seems to delight Hap, who declares this to be excellent mischief. We'll rig them, we'll tug them until they stretch. Joe can't think over all of the chants in the basement, but he has to do something to get out of here. Then a familiar noise breaks out over the racket. <laughs> a bark. Buster's bark. Mindy and Moose hear him too. And Joe remembers how much Hap and Chip hate Buster. Maybe the gnomes are afraid of dogs, and he could scare them into letting them go. Mindy and Joe start calling for him. Buster, come here, boy. Good boy, Buster. And his big, goofy head pushes through the windowsill. Come on down, boy. Good boy. Buster lets out a yawn and lays down in front of the window, head resting on his paws. No, come down, not lie down. Buster perks up again and sniffs the air, likely smelling the sweat from the basement. Joe has his arms outstretched to him, but he turns away and trots off. Buster had deserted them. Their only chance of escape was gone. Joe just wanted silence so he could hear himself think, and it dawned on him. Buster's whistle is silent. He grabs for the whistle under his shirt. The metal was slick with sweat. The gnomes notice the shiny metal whistle and Hap and Chip dive at him. They leap up and slap it out of his hands and it falls with a clang to the floor. All three of the kids dive for it, but the gnomes were quicker. The gnomes were everywhere. Mindy, Joe, and Moose were all surrounded. They tried ducking, dodging, and swatting the gnomes away, but they are clearly outnumbered. Amongst the frenzy, Joe sees Hap holding the whistle high in the air. He sets it down, raises his plaster foot, and goes to lower it. The whistle would be crushed. Joe fights off more gnomes, rolls toward the whistle, and Indiana Jones style grabs it right out from under Hap's he raises the whistle to his lips and blows as hard as he can. He blows it again. Where is Buster? The gnomes must be thinking the same thing because they are all frozen in place. No more giggling, no more chanting, just eerie silence. There was still no sign of Buster and Moose decides to tip over one of the gnomes. It falls backward like a rock. Nothing came to life. No change in expression. Holding the dog whistle tightly in his grip, Joe examines the gnomes, pushing them over and enjoying the silence. The gnomes weren't afraid of Buster. They were afraid of the whistle. Which means they were safe, but how were they going to get out of the basement? Joe stacks up Chip and Hap at the base of the window, and uses them for a boost up and out into the fresh night air. Of course, Buster was waiting for them on the lawn, and he comes over and licks Joe's face. They all can't believe what just happened, and agree they will never tell their parents about this, 
Let's just hope the gnomes stay frozen for good. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Joe reaches out his fingers to his sister and starts to chase her down the street. This was the first time in days that Joe felt happy, but he knew he'd never forget the gnomes' chants. He would hear them in his nightmares forever. The next night, Mindy and Joe were watching MTV in the day. Yep, there was videos, and then, like, we had singled out at night. Singled out, yes. Um, All the good very real early episodes of the real world like the first season yeah like the first yeah mm-hmm. i don't have mtv i think it's on my package we have for streaming but i never watch it because i think every time you have something if it's on it's all reality shows no it's all shit like there's yeah. nothing on there there's nothing on and vh1 has become kind of the same like it's all shows yeah, I don't think I think that's over. I think those are two things that are that were were good and have died, and we need to let them die. <laughs> I know. Or they need to com- be completely reinvented. But there are still some cool music videos out there. Like Lady Gaga still does cool music videos, and there are people putting stuff out there. It's just it's all YouTube now. And Mrs. Burton comes in to remind them to be nice to their dad because someone had stolen the gnomes. Oh, the gnomes were missing. What a shocker. Mindy and Joe hadn't been fighting for days, and everyone was in a good mood. Even his dad, who says that he brought home a little surprise. Excuse me, a what now? Come to the lawn and see. But before Joe had even stepped outside, he could see what his dad had brought home from Lawn Lovely. An enormous brown plastic gorilla. It was at least eight feet tall, with a purple chest, paws the size of baseball mitts, and a purple and brown face. You are not going to put that monstrosity on my lawn, shouted Mrs. Burton. Joe was thinking anything was better than lawn gnomes. Joe and Mindy tell their dad that it's a beauty and thinks it's going to look great. Be a good gorilla. Don't be like those awful gnomes, whispered Joe as he walked back into the house. But just as he turns away, the gorilla winked. The end. Hmm. Did you ever feel like, instead of all that, like, let's tickle them and let's trampoline and let's dribble <laughs> them, did you want some, like, hardcore... Old world Scandinavian black magic shit. Yes. <laughs> where they were like gonna eat them. Mm-hmm. I really felt like I mean I figured they might get to that point. Like you could you could kind of allude to that. Like oh we're gonna like torture you to death. Maybe we'll eat yeah, you. Yeah, we're later. gonna like carve some runes on your <laughs> chest and like steal your soul and like yes. come to life. I really wish these books weren't written for children and then we would get all the cool stuff. It's a letdown. Like, man, nobody got murdered in this book. Well, I think because they were sold at school, he probably had to rein it in. Mm -hmm. I liked it. That was cute, for sure. It was a fun one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a fun one. I like the good stuff. Yeah, it was very... I think this one is up there with one of the more classic ones. The gnomes have a big presence in the the movies, the two movies. They're a big part uh of it. So I think that's one... They're one of those characters that recur, like Slappy and all that. 
you know, they're yeah. in that. Remember the Spooksville show? Mm-hmm. So I, I was not familiar with Spokesville. And then one one year, for some reason, was New Year's Eve. And mm. it's the year the kids get to, they don't have a bedtime. And they mm. decided that would be a good time to binge Spooksville on Netflix, <laughs> um, which it's not on there anymore, but it was at the time. Yeah. And I, I was not familiar with it. And they do an episode on there of uh, the, like a garden gnomes. A garden, yeah. Come to life. And it was yeah. a little more like, old school Scandinavian like they were sending them like runic messages oh, wow. and they had the house on lockdown yeah <laughs> I'm not saying that I personally would do the menagerie I don't mind a few nicely placed statuaries I don't mind that I know um, you want to put hats on a swan I know oh 100% <laughs> if I had the like the two things at the end of the driveway I would make all kinds of costumes for them <laughs> it would be a thing I saw that on Facebook one time like there's there's a family and I forget where they're at but they have this like sculpted metal giant t-rex he's like oh nine or ten feet tall they have multiple costumes for him that's fantastic there's he has an Elvis costume he has a vampire costume for Halloween and then for Valentine's Day they put like a little Cupid's bow in his tiny arms Mm -hmm. and then they have blood everywhere and then they have like um like a hand sticking out of his mouth like maybe he ate Cupid god knows those people probably paid a couple grand for that but anyway There's a metalworks, I don't know if they're still there anymore, but on the way to, like, a beach town here, there's this metalworks uh-huh. place, and they have, like, dinosaurs, horses, pegasus, trees, like, all made of metal. Like, you could go insane. Like, you could have, probably have yeah. a gorilla. I don't even know. A giant owl. All that stuff's really expensive. Oh, it's yeah. major expensive. It's not like, yeah. let's just casually pick up a dinosaur. <laughs> Like, no. Yeah, no, it is. It is hardcore. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. Well, I love it. And you know what, Danielle? If I were a listener right now, I would go straight to wherever I was listening. Mm-hmm. And I would give us five stars. I would too. And I would talk about like how not only <laughs> am I entertained, but how witty and wonderful the hosts are. <laughs> And if you're feeling that vibe, I, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you to do that. We don't care where you leave your reviews. We just want them to be five stars. Mm-hmm. If they're not five stars, that's cool. Like, 100% do you. But do you away from the reviews. We don't need, we don't want to be yourself. Yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, you just, you hate us way over there. Next episode, we're back to Fear Street. For one evil summer. The book with the cat. Because Christy found it. Yes. Yes, I fucking found it. It <laughs> it had like dropped behind something. Oh. And I was cleaning and I was like, holy crap. That's Mystery where this thing book. went. It was, you, were, you were meant to find it. You were meant to find meant it. Meant to find it. So I'm going to deliver. <laughs> I'm not a liar. Next time. It's one evil summer. Yes. Can't wait. But until then... We are out. Like the nice kid in musical chairs. That kid always got fucked over. (laughs) 